ground. We're back. Another week. Another great guest. We got writer, photographer, filmmaker with upcoming documentary about Justin Pearson. Don't fall in love with yourself. We got John Nix on the pod. What's up, John? Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. You had uh, you had reached out to us a little bit, and uh, apparently our emails <laughs> never went through. <laughs> but well, all that matters is you're here now, uh, and it's very top of mind uh, with having Justin on a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, uh, where are you coming from? Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. the mistake by the lake. <laughs> mistake on the they, lake. Is that what they call mistake it? Mistake really? on yeah. the lake. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no one likes no one likes Cleveland, bro. No one. <laughs> I always remember the That's not true. You love Cleveland, don't you? What me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's cool. Uh I mean it, it's one of the things where like I do think that there are things that we're overly confident about. It's there's very much an attitude here of like we're just as cool as Chicago or New York. Um but we it's like not. no, we don't have a, we don't have a mass transit system. Like very clearly, we're not yeah. um, for a lot of very like systematic problems. Um, but that said, uh, it's very cheap cost of living. Uh, housing is like not good like every everywhere else compared to like income levels. But it's definitely a lot more affordable than other places. Um, and everyone here like works their ass off. Like no one feel there's not a a sense of like entitlement. Like oh, I'm just gonna blow up inherently because I live in this place. Um, so everyone here is like down to work really hard and is like really passionate about what they do and it really um, sort of beats like fair weather people <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. So I, I like, heard who, from Kim Kardashian that uh, no one wants to work anymore. So it's good to hear that the, mm-hmm. the people of Cleveland are, have got that. God, you 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 break that out every. Chance I did not you play can. the actual clip, but you know I'm referencing the clip. <laughs> um, how much how much do you care about sports? That's my first question. Uh, not not much. I mean, I like basketball, but I haven't paid a ton of attention in the last few years. I just like don't have time to put hours a week into something, you know. I wanted to uh, I wanted to know what a real Clevelander thought about uh, Jose Ramirez knocking Tim Anderson out the other day. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm down for anything that makes baseball more interesting. So I'm for it. Uh, see, we we love a baseball fight on this podcast for sure. I'm I'm down to go to a Yo, baseball I, game. I love every baseball fight. I'm down to go to a baseball game. You've in person, never, but uh, oh, that's a shame. Your stadium's really nice. Oh no, no, I've been there. I mean, like I'm down to do it in person, but like oh. God, I would never like watch TV like baseball. <laughs> I just fall asleep. <laughs> if you could only, if you could only see what I'm looking at, it's the three of you and the Phillies game, right <laughs> which is wild. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, Cleveland is. Uh, whenever I think of Cleveland, it's it's permanently attached to that like old era YouTube video of the failed Cleveland tourism video. Oh yeah, yeah, Mike oh, Polk. So good. The homes yeah, cost the the price of a VCR. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean that is that is true in some places. Um, <laughs> that that being said, a lot there's like a lot of cool stuff going on. Like the old white Catholic areas are really gentrifying right now because mm-hmm. like all the grandmas and grandpas are dying. So like there's mm-hmm. like those are becoming the hipster areas, which is nice because you're not really like displacing anyone that way. And there's like really affordable like GI era houses there <laughs> that yeah. are like nice starter homes. So like it, you know it's feasible to actually like own a home. That's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Yeah, there's there's cool stuff like that, but um, yeah, no, Mike Polk's cool. Like he's a he's a local stand up comedian. That's who did that video. So oh, he's really? always like around town. Yeah. Okay, because I I actually I'm trying to think who I was talking to 
But they said they knew, like, their parents knew the guy who did that video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, he's oh, like a local celebrity. That's so. amazing. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, how often do you, do you have, like, a, you know, how often do you go into that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> almost, almost never. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I go about, like, weekly, once or once or twice a week. Yeah, usually. I mean, I, I have a couple friends that work there, um, and it just seems like a bureaucratic nightmare. But uh, I've been there a couple times, but I don't know. I don't need to look at John Lennon's pants, like, on a regular basis. Ooh, <laughs> you know? See, that's where we so, differ. Never. <laughs> <laughs> only, if they're, only if they're blood splattered. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, uh, fuck, I don't remember what museum I was at. There's some museum that I was just at that had uh yoko ono's like she made this piece where she she fashioned like his shirt out of metal and like put like bullet holes in it and oh like God. painted blood on it and it was like part of her processing his death this what is a, what this is why gatekeeping is good <laughs> if uh if we if we kept if we kept people like that out of art i think art would be better <laughs> <laughs> what if we got Yoko Ono what? on the pod? I know, I know the person who's dating her son. I mean, look, I, I, I don't even think that's as crazy a thing. I just don't know what I would say to like. What could you say, like, really, <laughs> an individual that has no concept of like the real world? I mean, that's got to be interesting. Maybe. I mean, I, I feel like talking to Yoko Ono would be a lot like talking to um, Tim Kinsella. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Similar music output as well. I guess, sort of. Um, did, you, did you see the, uh, since, we're, since we're all documentary filmmakers here, um, you guys have both seen the Joan of Arc documentary, oh, yeah. right? Uh, great, I actually great. haven't seen it yet. Oh, you haven't? No, oh. it's on my list. I just haven't gotten to it. It's I think it's free on the internet, right? It's a noisy did it, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a great yeah. documentary. Um, I love it when they go to the the Kinsella themed vintage shop in Japan. Oh, that's man, a, that's that's what I that's I my favorite part. Life. I think I should open a Kinsella themed vintage shop in you Baltimore. Should. You should open a turnstile cafe. Turnstiles in the news today, boyos. Yeah, what a time! Because of the, the them throwing um, out the first pitch of the Orioles game, throwing out the first pitch of the O's game. I there was four of. Here's something I didn't realize that there's only four of them in the band, but they always play with a fifth Do member. They? Well, they they yeah. kicked their one guitarist out. I think is that what it yeah. was? They kicked the one guitarist out. I think he was a guitarist. So, He's the redhead guy that was in the band. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so they got so there's the the metal dude who still plays guitar with the goofy BC riches or whatever <laughs> the fuck he plays, um, uh, and they just got rid. That second guitarist is no more. I saw there was a girl playing on the last mm-hmm. tour. Yeah, she was doing fill in. Um, it's great, great stuff. But there was four of them. They did some weird tomfoolery uh, before the baseball game, and they're really. Threw the first pitch out. The Oriole bird did not yeah, catch it, which, which was sort of wild. <laughs> um, I would say no, no fault of uh, of Brendan, Brendan, Brandon, Brendan, the singer. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, he uh, resumed his role two. of drummer uh, at the TUI uh, reunion at Sound and Fury. 
it's about time. He, it's not like he's doing anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get get off the front of the stage. Get get back to where you belong behind the set. But uh, John, mm-hmm. what have you been up to these days? You got a you got a documentary coming out. Yeah, I have a documentary uh, called "Don't Fall in Love with Yourself" about Justin Pearson. So, um, yeah, cut. Justin, mm-hmm. maybe the the coolest person on the planet. Yeah. He doesn't know it, but yeah. What uh, what would make oh, you? Oh, I think he knows. What would, you, what would make on. you want to do a documentary about someone so uninteresting? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was really into three one G in high school. Like they just opened up a ton of doors for me. Like the first time I heard the Locust, mm-hmm. I it just like melted my brain. Like I didn't know what I was hearing, um, and I just like had to try to process what it was that like I ju- had just experienced. Um. And then he has all these stories attached to him. They're like, you know, the Springer story and then like the Locust Coke mirrors. And there's like all sorts of other like crazy fucking weird like anecdotes about him and the, that label and all his bands. Um, so it just seemed ripe for it. Uh, but yeah, I do, when I was like 19, I just reached out to him like on Facebook. Like I was just like, hey, dude, your music means a lot to me. Like, just so you know. Uh, and he was like really cool and receptive to it like he was just like come to the next show and hang out and we'll just like kick it before the show uh and so i drove it to pittsburgh the next time retox was playing we hung out and just like stayed in touch i would just go to his shows anytime he was nearby uh and then after being like casual friends for like 10 years i i was finally just like just let me make a fucking movie on you and he was down like i i uh i had like all these arguments sort of like built out in my head and I had like stuff written out I'm like okay well this is what I could counter with with this if he says this and that kind of thing and then I just sent one email and he was just like yeah what do you need let's do it <laughs> <laughs> like he's just so chill about it yeah that because that was my question is where do you begin with that kind of stuff like that's oh I feel like that's the hardest hurdle for any project is just what the fuck do you do first so like walk me through kind of the process I mean like you said you he was very receptive to it right off the bat and he didn't have to do mm-hmm. much convincing but like where do you go from there how do you start developing a storyline i guess you go chronologically right for the most part but like how does one even compile like footage for that stuff besides like you know archival footage and things like mm-hmm. that what's the process behind just amassing all of what goes into a documentary like that yeah, so I mean, like, uh, he's a maniac, so right away, he was just like, what do you need? I have all these VHS tapes, I have all these mini DV tapes, like, I can just send them to you, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you should do that. <laughs> and so, like, two weeks later, I had, like, the entire, like, 31G archive, basically. Oh, my God. Like, and I then I spent, like, a year, uh, like, transcoding it, and, and, like, transcribing, like, what was in each video, and, like... Like, not word for word, but just, like, making notes for, like, this tape has, like, all of this stuff on it. Uh, and then just made a ton of log notes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, how we started shooting for it, um, my initial thoughts on it were, like, okay, this is, like, a treasure trove of great footage. All of it's just, like, insane. Yeah. Show, uh, especially, like, the show footage. or just, But, I mean, even, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, tour bus footage, like, all that stuff. Uh, and so my initial idea was just do like an Amanda Knox style documentary thing where it's like one interview with him and just archival footage and see if I can pull it off doing that. Oh, wow. But then, so, so we flew him out in January. So it was like during like our blizzard <laughs> that year, oh, God. <laughs> he was like landed in it and it was like ankle deep snow. I was like, so glad they didn't cancel his flight. Um, 
and then we just spent the next two days shooting so it was like six hours one day like two the next um and then got some b-roll with him just like close-up insert kind of stuff just like tone things um but yeah so i just like went through basically like his entire life over the course of like eight hours um and then spend a while like building the skeleton out for the movie. But as I was breaking up his interview, there were just like so many great stories that I kind of wanted to hear from other people about, uh, like Eric Paul from like Airborne Radar or or Gabe or whoever. Um, and so the idea qu- pretty quickly changed from being like a one person movie to like okay, well I have to go talk to all these people and try to get interviews with as many people as I can, like associated with Three One G. So how did you track all those people down? Um, I mean, he's been like, Justin's just been super helpful through the whole process. So, I mean, a lot of them he put me in contact with. Some of them I was already talking to. Like, I was already kind of casually talking to Eric Paul just because I like his projects and I've been a fan for a while. Um, and so a lot of that was like waiting for bands to come around and then driving three hours to where they're playing oh, God. Uh, and knocking an interview out and then like driving home that same night. Um, but then, like, as far as, like, getting, like, the other Locust interviews, uh, we flew out to L.A. and San Diego, uh, like, about a year and a half into the project and got most of those interviews out there. So we just did, like, a marathon with people. Oh, my God. So how long how long has this project been going on at this point? Uh, like, five and a half years, something Jesus. like that. Yeah. So really, I mean, this is the thing. is like, it was... Luckily, he's not busy and doesn't do anything that needs updating. <laughs> yeah, he's, so yeah, that's he's not sick. in 16 bands. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. Did you get to talk to Mike Patton at any <sighs> point? Did you ask Mike if he got the shirt? We were gonna. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's a little in, that's a little inside running to the ground <laughs> yeah, joke for you. So, so yeah. Um, so be, the movie was basically done like two and a half years in, um, and then we needed finishing funds just for like paying for color correction and sound mixing and all that stuff. Um, so we ran a finishing funds Kickstarter raised the money, was successful. We had this whole secondary trip planned out where we were going to get Ross Robinson and Mike Patton and, like, all these people that I'm, like, dying to talk to. Yeah. Uh, and then the week we were supposed to go out is the week that, like, the whole country shut down. Fuck. So, <laughs> so we got a few of them just by sending out. We sent out, like, an iPhone package with, like, in a like ex- lens extender and a microphone extender and, like, walked people how to, through how to do it. So we have a couple interviews that are, like, less polished that are in it from that but we ended up like missing out on a few interviews because of just like not being able to fly out and get to those people um which is a huge bummer but uh i mean i think i think it's fine i think i need i got what i needed to get um once we were done with the last interview with jose palafox he was in swing kids and struggle um i had the sense of like okay we have everything like he was just like very self-effacing very open very honest about justin like there were a lot of questions I would ask about him and people are like, I'm not a fucking psychologist. Like, why are you asking me this? I don't have an opinion. And Jose is just like, Oh yeah, no, I know him. I know this is why he does this <laughs> or whatever. Like wow. he was like very clear on a lot of stuff that I felt like needed filling in, especially in his like younger years section of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, after we did that, I felt like it really, really worked. Um, but yeah, no, it would have been great to get those interviews. Uh, it would have been great to have this thing out in three years. Like I wanted to, but you know, it it is what it is. I can't control <laughs> that there was like a global pandemic. You know, yeah. There's a lot of people that I would think if you would make a documentary about them, it would like change them somewhat or like, you know, it takes like a certain kind of person to, for somebody to put that much time into making a film about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like Justin was just, would have just been like, 
yeah, cool. This exists yeah. now. Who cares? Yeah, he's very. I'm working on another retox <laughs> record. Yeah, he's very uh, like yes man, like the Jim Carrey movie, where like I feel like he can't yeah, yeah, say yeah. no. Um, I mean, he's a yeah. workaholic, but beyond that, I think he just he's open to disaster. I think that that's uh, one <laughs> of the better qualities about him is like he's just like yeah, fuck it, whatever, I'll try it, and it'll probably not go well, and that's fine, you know. So. I, I think he went into it without a lot of expectations. I think he was just surprised that I wanted to do it based on like his answers we've mm-hmm. been doing at these Q and A's where we've been yeah. screening the movie. Um, he was just kind of like, I thought you were crazy for asking me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you've you've done a really cool kind of rollout with it, uh, and I'm really bummed that like I feel like by the time we got in touch, all the stuff that's happened in New York kind of came and went. You, you did mm-hmm. a you did a release at, uh, or at least a, a screening of it at. St. Vitus, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that would have been fucking awesome. How? I mean, I imagine it went great, right? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they just reached out to us. So much of this project has been really kind of amazing as far as, like, who has reached out and, like, who we've connected with. Like, the score... So, the score is done by Luke Henshaw, who's in Planet B. Um, but it's all... But it also has uh, Alex from Mets and Graham from Holy Fuck on it. And, uh they just reached out to us like Alex and Graham were like, we're into scoring stuff. We want to work on this movie. You don't have to pay us. Like, let Shit. us just do it. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. And I, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't like doing things as like handouts. Like I, I try to pay everyone or at least like do, do something to compensate yeah. for that. Um, so I was like, cool, I'm going to get you on the back end. But like, as far as them just doing it up front and like trusting me, um, it's yeah it's it was just like a dream like i'm a huge met and holy fuck fan like latin took over my life when that album came out that's so sick yeah but it, but it was same but the same way with like saint vitus so like vitus just reached out to us and was just like if you ever want to screen it in new york you can do it here and i was just like yeah please okay yeah let's, I mean, <laughs> let's do it vitus has a book coming out on their own of like the 10 years or so and like mm-hmm. the fact that a venue can have that kind of following you know <laughs> like yeah like a band would like that much appreciation over a space which you know in the punk world is hard to come by as like a a a consistently good venue like so much Mm -hmm. stuff just comes and goes so quickly and uh it's cool to see that being appreciated but i mean it's a great rollout idea for because like justin's played a bunch of these screenings right like it's uh Uh, it's like yeah Uh, yeah so for the ones we a death club show with the movie (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the ones we've only flown him out to, it's just been him doing Q&As and, like, hanging out and stuff. But, um, yeah, we, he's played it a few. Like, Satanic Planet played the night after Invitus and Planet B played after the screening. Um, and when we were down in Dallas, uh, Planet B played down there at Oak Cliff Film Festival. Uh, and then, yeah, Def Club's going to play at uh, Brain Dead in L.A. That's cool. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been fun. Um yeah, I mean, I've never really had, like, a proper movie rollout before, um, and I don't really have, like, systematic connections to do this in, like, mm-hmm. a correct way. Um, but I'm also, like, a huge Dolomite fan, really, is, like, where the idea came from, where, like, <laughs> yeah. no one would fucking book his movies, and uh, he was just like, okay, cool, I'll just book it and then try to fill it out, and then hopefully we can turn some kind of profit on it, and if not, at least people see it. Yeah. Um, and so I figured, like, that would be a good approach for it. So, yeah, we did New York, Evitus. Uh, we did two screenings in Chicago that Theo from Joan of Arc set up. Um, cool. One was at uh, Joe Swanberg's uh, theater that he runs, and the other was at uh, this small place called Color Club. We played at Dallas. 
uh, Minneapolis, which I think where else, and then yeah, and then this weekend's going to be San Diego and LA, and they're probably going to be the last ones for the like most part. I think there might be something else that comes through in the back end, but it, it wouldn't be something we could actually go to. Yeah, damn, that's so cool. And then you got uh, another friend of the pod, Steak Mountain, doing mm-hmm. some uh, cover art, right? Yeah, so the the movie just came out through Vinegar. Well, technically, it came out through Enjoy the Ride Records, but Vinegar Syndrome does a bunch of distro for mm-hmm. small indie imprints. Um, so yeah, Steak Mountain did the design on that. That dude's amazing. So everything, everything <laughs> yeah, he Chris is incredible. Cool. Yeah, he's, it's, it's, it's stupid. Um, <laughs> I watch I watched possibly the worst podcast I've ever seen in my life. Um, and he was on mm-hmm. it, and he was like the only interesting thing. Uh, nice, to me. Yeah, he's he's great. I, I recently re-listened to our episode with him, and it's just he's just so much fun, <laughs> so much mm-hmm. fun to talk to him. What a what a crazy guy! I was hoping you were going to say I recently re-listened to the uh, to the entire Combat Wounded Veteran discography, and I would have said, "Well, let's talk about that." I mean, that, yeah, I mean that would have taken me an hour and a half, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a lot of overhead. Yeah, um, but, uh, but, yeah, but it's been it's been cool connecting with Steak though. Just like he's been involved with quite a few things that's going on. I run a small publishing company, so uh, I'm putting out a book of his work uh, sometime next year. And then he also did the cover for my next book of short stories. So damn, we've been working on a bunch of stuff lately. So it's been kind of nice to consistently get to like talk through ideas with him. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're a we're a one indie press uh, <laughs> podcast, so we can't plug yours, unfortunately. But purchase everything from Rose Books, please. Uh, I mean, Ro- someone who isn't me by Jeff Rickley out now on its third pressing. <laughs> Everyone should go pick it up. I got my copy. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Dan, you, you finished yeah, it, right? I, I blew through that in twenty four hours. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, it was pretty excited to read I, it i, I wanted to like it's been so long i wanted to like take it to the pizza hut for the book it get my free personal pan pizza you know <laughs> but uh that was such a yeah it's, it's such a good book and i'm super excited i'm, I'm gonna read uh chris sent us hunchback 88 and that's that's next on the docket i need it's, to just crank it's through the, the best book of the 21st century as yeah. far as i'm concerned i'm not i'm not even fucking joking honestly like that book when i read it i was like how do I become friends with this guy? Like, like yeah. it, 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 so funny enough, it's very yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as he wants to refuse any sort of like compliment or mm-hmm. affection mm-hmm. in any way, but yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think he's a, a genius on a couple levels, and I think that like he's almost monastic, and, and I, I really admire people like him that sort of understand that like. Uh, the point of to of creating is like to create it's not to like get rich or make a living necessarily or whatever like the it, it should always be about you gaining some sort of like fulfillment and growth out of it i think even if that doesn't add up to anything because you're just gonna be dead one day whatever you know whatever his attitude is yeah i know i want to i want to fulfill Dark, my artistic endeavors by being rich i think that uh, it's a nice compromise actually i want i want both i see i honestly i see no other way <laughs> i see no other way I think my artistic vision is blocked by my bank account. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward. I got to check it out. Um, I'm super excited to get a chance to watch it, uh, which is cool. But like, what, what got you into, like, are you a, did you go to school for it? Like, what got you into filmmaking in general? 
uh, I kind of just never wanted to do anything else. Like I want, I wanted, I wanted to like kind of. When I was really young, I wanted to like animate, like do cartoons and stuff. I wanted to write, and like I wanted to make movies, and so it's all kind of the same thing. In a lot of ways, uh, there's a lot of overlap as far as like what the skill sets are, mm-hmm. um, and so I kind of just bounce between those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've just sort of like been myopically focused on doing that since I can remember. Um, so I mean, I started editing in high school. We had a there, there's like a career center out here, so you get to leave your like shitty main public school and then go to like a trade school while uh, you're getting like high school cool. credit, basically. That's yeah. Cool, so like yeah. half the day was just like fucking around with cameras and like Final Cut. Uh, and then the other half was like doing classes where they don't give you homework because they know you have jobs and stuff. Like the teachers are really rad at that school. So they would just be like, no homework. We're only doing in work class stuff. And like, that's it. And like, they would treat you like adults in the sense that like in like English classes and stuff, they'd be like, okay, this character is like jonesing for a cigarette. Let's talk about how that feels. Cause I know you smoke. Let's like get the bullshit out of the way. I get that you're 15, but I'm sure half this class smokes. Like, and so they would like, <laughs> that's cool right? after all, you know? Yeah, that, that school was really cool in the sense that, like, half of the student body was, like, I'm going to learn how to change, like, a radiator in a car and do oil changes and stuff like that. And, like, I'm going to, or I'm uh, carpentry or whatever. And, like, I'm going to get, like, a good trade job. And the other half was, like, art kids. And so, like, everyone was, like, very focused and mature about what they were doing there. Like, everyone was there for a reason. And it was to, like, develop a specific skill, no matter what their perspective was. Mm. Um and so, yeah, so it, that was, like, a pretty formative thing. And then I just went for to, like, a shitty for-profit college here. Um, but I met a lot of really good people there, like, people I still do stuff with today. So I think, I think that makes all three of us go into a shitty for-profit uh, <laughs> school. Yeah, did you also go to the Art Institute of Chicago? No, I didn't. I, went, I, uh, I toured... I mean, not, not Chicago, Cleveland. Yeah, there, there, there isn't one here. We have, we have, like, a high-end kind of private one called CIA. Um, that's like fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that and it's like a five-year college uh so that was like way out of out of me being able to ever pay for that but uh i did tour the art institute of pittsburgh and i like 10 minutes into the tour i was like this is a scam we're leaving (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, this is no good well you did better than i did i i went there for four or three and a half years and I, mean, I never paid him, so. It's oh, fun. great! That's We're good. good but. I mean, I guess you would have gotten it back in that big like class section lawsuit, right? But no, you know, um, there were like stipulations. You could only you had to either still be enrolled, or you had to have graduated like less than eighteen months before the school closed. Oof. Oh. Okay. And I was like multiple years before the school closed. The only yeah. thing that sucked about that school, honestly, was just that they lied about. Um, being accredited in any way mm-hmm. and that was like all the honestly i learned a lot you know what i um you know i think i think i learned more than a lot of those idiots that went to full sale uh, idiots <laughs> not idiots come on yeah i'm I sure mean, they're all very successful now but yeah it's, it's, and honestly i it, I mean, i'm glad we're talking about uh my life a little bit because um something i never understood especially with all these schools popping up what 15 years ago 10 years ago all making audio engineers Mm. where the fuck were all these audio engineers gonna go work that's a great great point they really pushed radio stations like like here so oh that's someone that wasn't dying you know i have a degree in radio and i can tell you it 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 did not come in handy until we started a podcast (laughs) i feel like that and only one of of us and only one of us works in radio 
that's true. And Andrew went to school for audio engineering, and I'm the one who produces. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just we're just flip flopping, uh, we're flip flopping all of our, uh, you know, skill sets here. Keep us sharp. But yeah, my my school was a lot of fun in the sense that the year before I went to school, in, I went to Hallmark Institute of Photography in like Western Mass, and uh, the year before I enrolled. The president was caught cooking the books and embezzled like four point five million dollars. And so it was bought by Premier Education Group, who's like the shitty for profit cool like school conglomerate, like Harris School of Business mm. and all those really terrible Oof. places. And uh it was very funny because I knew people who were the year before me and like the school was very much about like keeping up appearances in the sense that like the teachers drove least to be uh you know mercedes and all kinds of stuff and there's like a day that like the impound lot came and like repossessed all the mercedes <laughs> in the parking lots and uh it was very very funny that's but, pretty uh, sweet yeah, yeah the one the one i went to also closed down for some uh weird money reasons yeah or got pa- or got passed off i think they like sold it off and well, then like someone rebranded it that was kind of the bummer because mm. it was one of the few dedicated photography programs in the country there was hallmark in the in the east and brooks institute in the west and brooks was around like 74 years and i think hallmark was like 55 years and it was like the guy the guy's father was the one who ran it and then he took it over it as the president and he's the one who fucked it all up and then I think it ran for another six years or so, and then Premiere was like, oh, this is unprofitable. YouTube exists now, and they just closed it down. Oh, man. Brutal. Like, YouTube exists to learn from? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. That that seems to be the problem. I'm actually sort of interested now. I remember when I was in art school was the first time I'd ever heard of, like, content aware in Photoshop, which is, like, everywhere now. Um, and like, I, I remember looking at that and looking at the graphic design kids and being like, you guys are fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all. So John, what, uh, what kind of like musical background do you have? Do you, were you, did you play music? Were you just, uh, go to shows? What what was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was always, I was always into going to shows. I mean, I, I've loved music since for like forever uh i was just like one of those kids i was like immediately into it um but anytime i've tried to play anything like i tried to play guitar on and off for a few years um i just don't learn through repetition i learn in sort of a Mm. like a painter style way in the sense of like okay i've made all these mistakes on this painting i'm gonna learn from it and then go on to the next thing and then try to incorporate what i've learned into the next thing i do um every time i would kind of nail a song i would just be like all right did that don't need to do that ever again Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, it's just not how my brain works. Um, it's much more about like making mistakes repeatedly inside of a project and like trying to build it out and like correct them as I go. Um, a lot of editing, um, is just doing that. It's just like watching things over and over and trying to figure out if they work or if they don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just was always really into music. It was like my main outlet when I was in middle school. I was is like during the new metal boom, so I was super into that kind of stuff. And then once I got to uh, high school, I found a ton of other stuff like through and G and Discords and Earache and uh, Saddle Creek and all that stuff. Um, so so yeah, that really like opened a world up for me, especially the fact that I was like living in like shitty rural Ohio at the time. Yeah, what mm. what's the music scene like out that way? Um, right now it's great. Um, 
so around like in the Obama era, like Columbus, which is like two hours south of Cleveland, um, had like a very big like folk punk kind of explosion. So you had bands like Defiance Ohio uh, and um, uh, uh, God, why am I blanking on the name? Um, things like Reverse the Curse or uh, uh, Tin Armor is like a, another really good one that where like they should have blown up huge as far as i'm concerned like they were just they just if they would have gotten on one big tour as like a supporting act i think they could have been a thing um and then all that sort of went away for a few years and it was kind of dead and right now the hardcore scene in ohio is like insane with the amount of bands we have that are like doing really cool shit is nuts like we have for your health and end love uh uh salt like there's a bunch of other bands slug uh, that are all doing like really really cool shit um, and kind of giving getting a bunch of attention like anytime like gel comes into town like they always have like stack shows with all these bands um, shout out gel so yeah so like right now it's like the scene is awesome uh, it's like really brutal again it's nice there's no like kumbaya kind of stuff <laughs> that's going on for a long time um, yeah yeah, yeah. It's I, in, it's, it's in, um, you know. oh, isn't like devil wears Prada from Columbus or from Ohio at some Oof, point? You know, I don't know. I, Hawthorne Heights is from somewhere around here. Okay. All but right. I, I'm not, I don't remember where they're from. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I remember my, my buddy's from Ohio and he, he was like friends with the, the Devil Wears Prod of you on that like weird, like Christian metal boom that popped mm-hmm. up, you know? Yeah. Uh, mm. But yeah, that's, that's good shit. I guess Ohio, it, 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 is that considered the Midwest? Is, are there Midwest emo bands from, from Ohio? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like emo revival um, stuff. Isn't Signals Midwest from mm-hmm. Ohio? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Max and all those guys are great. Um, I did one of their music videos. Uh, nice. Oh, they're yeah. from Cl- Cleveland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what other things from Cleveland I know. I, I have very little Cleveland knowledge. There's this great thrash band that. Man, I uh, really, I really loved that one Signals Midwest record. Which one? The, um, I guess the la- was it the last one? Uh, their last one was Dent. No, then it wasn't the last one. It was the one the. I'm I'm looking it up right now. The the, the the the. the... Holy moly! Every other time. You look for something and everything pops up, and I'm looking at the wrong thing. Signals Midwest. Oh my goodness! They're a band. The album's called At This Age. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, it's cool. twenty twenty sixteen. Uh, At This Age is really good. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Evan produced the twenty twelve. I'm not one. mistaken. Latitudes and longitudes. The mm-hmm. one I'm aware of. Is that the one that had like Saint? No, Saint I'm thinking Charity. about the other one. What's? Yeah, yeah. That song. That song sticks with you. Hmm. Yeah, that one's pretty mm. intense. What a time. Hmm. Good folks over there at Signals Midwest. Dan, I yeah, didn't know so there was you, a new uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you said you grew up in, like, rural Ohio, though? The uh, like- uh, So I grew up in Central Florida. Um, oh, okay. I, I, grew up, I grew up in Ooh, Lakeland, where Florida. in Central Florida? <laughs> uh, oh, Lakeland. Lakeland. Just, like, home, of the, uh, home of the Lakeland Air Show. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, I guess it is what it's known for. I had a, I've been like many buried, times. You just haven't buried something in there. Um, yeah, so yeah, I lived in I lived in Florida in like a shitty trailer park um, until I was like fourteen, and then we moved up here. Uh, I was kind of like a caregiver for my grandma when she was young. Uh, my grandpa had Parkinson's, and then uh, after he died, my grandma had basically had like 
uh, degenerative like lung disorder, like multiple lung disorders. Uh, and so she was like, uh, I'm on borrowed time. We should move back home where I have like eight kids uh, that can like help take care of me. So it's not all on you two. Um, so we just moved back up and then I've been here ever since. But where we initially moved is this place called Lodi. Uh, it's like a total shithole. It's just like drugs and nothingness. Um, it was like the northern capital of the KKK through the 70s. Jesus. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, now it's we're a talking. gnarly bummer place. So When you mentioned you're, you know, you're doing the Justin Pearson doc, I was definitely picturing something a little more aggressive when it came to an album you were going to choose. But you did pick a, a favorite of ours, which is uh, Read Music Speak Spanish by Desperacitos. Yeah. So um, what what was your kind of thought process behind that? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, there's plenty of heavy music that I listened to that I could have picked. Um, but I do feel like this is an under talked about album, and it was a really formative album for me. Uh, I mean, this whole era of Saddle Creek is like unbeatable. I don't know what was going on where like every album is like a borderline masterpiece or a masterpiece like just outright. Uh, and out of all of them, it was, this is one that really stood out to me. I was, was, I'm a huge Cursive fan. I've probably seen Tim Kasher play more than like any other musician, probably like upwards of 20 times. Um, but, but as far as like albums that really, really hit me outside of Cursive, like this, this is the album. I, I think that what they were doing, especially them and Rilo Kiley, uh, where they were really kind of deconstructing the sort of like American dream sensibility and about how like, everything is broken in all these like sort of like provincial places in the country uh, yeah. really, really resonated with me. Um, I never had, a, I don't feel like I ever had a sense of like access to generational wealth or like upward mobility at all. Um, but I was surrounded by a lot of people that sort of wanted to believe in that sort of thing. Like they could just like budget their way out of poverty. Um, and I, I think that Saddle Creek really understands on like an essential level, uh, how like the idea of America is kind of like a big dream and like it's never really existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this record, you know, favorite of mine. It's not something I I discovered it later on. I think it might have been even like Scott from Dad's who like introduced me to this record. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it, it's still it's like a decade plus ago, but this record's now over twenty years old, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. But. uh you know, it, it's it it is kind of weird that it is kind of a little offset, like kind of a, a cliff note or like a you know a little sub section of Connor Roberts's like career. You know, mm-hmm. compared to everything else, this is kind of sits in the shadows a little bit. I mean, it had a little bit of a resurgence when they put a new record out, which we'll we'll talk a little bit later. But this record, I feel like it's it's like ahead of its time. You know? Oh, definitely. And the fact that it's it's just like I don't even know like uh, just listening to the lyrics of this, so much of the stuff they're singing about are still like m- they've only gotten worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> everything is so prescient, and just the idea of just like saving up your pennies to like buy a house and like saving up you know this and you know once we get the house then our problems are solved, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's just the urban sprawl is such a big part of this record too i mean even based on the album art alone it's of just all their like cookie cutter copy pasted houses just stacked on top of each other and all that shit is just gotten exponentially so much worse yeah 
yeah, it's it's gotten it's gotten worse and better in some ways. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of the stuff recently. Just just you know how you go in cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been listening to, like this and like I finally I re-listened to Wilco's uh, Yankee Foxtrot Hotel Yankee Hotel Foxtrot uh, for the first time in like years recently, and it's just like there's like such a brutality to these albums that mm. felt very lonely at that time. I, like, I don't think people realize like how completely deconstructed the left was like after nine 11, like no yeah. one could talk out at all against anything. Otherwise like threat of your career being ruined. Uh, mm-hmm. And just like, there was no proper opposition that could be built. Cause they're just like every Democrat was like as moderate as possible, if not a Republican and just like everyone just like wanted to toe the line. Yeah. Uh, and so like at the very least, I think that we're being a little bit more honest about the you know the situation that we're in i think we have uh, we don't have rose-colored glasses for our own mythology like the like we did especially right after 9 11 um but yeah every problem that they're talking about in the albums is only like it went from oh okay you have to kill yourself to buy a house to like no you're never actually going to do it while you've been attempted yeah yeah it's it's um it's super like well that's something i learned this time around like listening to the record and and doing a little digging on it that it was actually recorded the week that 9-11 happened Mm -hmm. which is crazy and then they were debating even putting it out because the you know when it came out february 2002 Mm -hmm. and i think they were they were like well this is so like kind of anti-american in the sense of like systemically um that's like should we even put it out is kind of the thought process and then they that it's kind of what they say you know it's a cult record but it was like a financial failure when it came out Mm -hmm. and yeah uh, well and i think that goes kind of hand in hand with the wilco album where i think both of these albums have a sense of being post 9-11 like they just they feel like this feels like it would be a response to like the lead up to the iraq war or something yeah um but it's this, it's the same thing with the Wilco album where like it was supposed to come out on nine eleven, <laughs> so like that's part of like that that album's like whole history. Uh, where like you listen to songs like War on War and it's just like oh this isn't about Iraq like this was how brutal these dudes were like before, uh, like we were even actually going back into a real war. Yeah, I mean it's and to think like where things went from even beyond after this came out. You know, it it just seems like it's almost like, pre- like premonistic. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's weird it's, because this record, talking culturally, I don't even know if you can fucking hear me right now. You two, again, you two, yeah. I've gotten kicked out of this call like three or four times. Anyway, um, it's really interesting the lineage this record sits in as far as like indie bands complaining about culture, or at least like taking an entire record to complain about culture. Um, I feel like Modest Mouse did it on Lonesome Crowded West. Um, you know, it's like sort of punk ideals in non-punk places, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean that's I a know. that's a great that way to look at point. it. Yeah, I and I and I think that that can be really interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of albums that like uh, juxtapose their content with their their tone. Like, I, I love Neutral Milk, but I, I love Neutral Milk because it's like, oh, the song is like a fun, catchy, folk-inspired kind of psych thing. It, but then you're like, oh, God, it's about genocide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While being, like, catchy. Um, 
so so yeah i mean I, and I think that that can be impactful as much as i love like brutal like grindcore albums and metal albums and stuff like that i do think that putting those kind of ideals in situations where they're palatable like make a pop country album that's about how like capitalism's fucked you know mm-hmm. i feel like that could be cool yeah oh for sure and it's i mean this is a heavy record that's something mm-hmm. i really like remembered listen i mean i, I listen to this record uh, fairly regularly but it's not in the regular rotation like the weekly rotation but like listening to it with an active ear it's like shit like this is a heavy record like he gets aggressive his he like really pushes his voice in a lot of these songs and um but i I think it's such a an angry album in the sense of just like staring at things you can't fix and just being so frustrated about it Mm -hmm. and uh like it really really comes out with that Um, and i think and i think it's really smart because it's not getting bogged down in like policy details you know it's getting it's more focused on like an existential personal problem as like the root of the thing you know yeah like so it's not like the problem isn't yes the problem is the system like it's our economic system and it's like the structures within it but at the same time like it's your a naive want to just be like oh i need to have two and a half kids and a house and a job and then Mm -hmm. i'll live that way from the time i'm 25 until i'm 80 and i'll just pretend that that's going to be fulfilling the full way through yeah oh absolutely you know? and I, I think that's a really good like the the two songs that kind of play off each other uh was it man and wife i think uh the yeah, latter the, the latter yeah yeah and and that like that idea of like oh we we're kind of like achieving all of our goals but now we we never see each other and our like marriage is falling apart because we're working so much to like keep this dream going mm-hmm. that like everything else has suffered to like keep up with the joneses kind of and then the the you know the the damaged goods well you know it's just mm-hmm. about the the you know divorce and everything kind of falling apart like i love i love the line in that song it's so like cutting and so um like well worded where it's like i'm growing out my hair like it was before i knew like when, when i was younger when it was, was longer single. than i yeah. knew you and i'm like mm. that's such a good line yeah 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 i, I don't just Connor's writing in this entire era of his career is just unparalleled. I, I it's hard to imagine like a, a better modern run than him. What as far as far as like lyrics, what, maybe, maybe just Casher besides him. But what record? What Bright Eyes records did this come between? Was this after uh, Lifted or? I'm not sure. It's no. This uh, is came out in, came out in 2002. So Lifted was 2004. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So this was between uh, Fevers and... Uh, that's, like, even crazier to me. And Lifted. Shit. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, Lifted was... He was, Lifted like, a was kid. Too- I mean, I remember going and seeing Desa Parashitos before the full length was out. I want to say it was just oh. an EP. Um, Lifted came out in 2002. And trying to get Connor... This okay, came out the same it year. it was right around the same time. Damn. That's crazy. <laughs> What a anyway, rec- Connor wouldn't <laughs> smoke weed with us, which was a bummer. Oh, he wouldn't smoke weed? No. <laughs> that's that's really was that was that on the Jimmy Eat World tour? Or no, if it was before the the LP no. came out. That's oh uh, yeah wild. no I mean yeah the yeah. I I saw them on the new when they came out with the new album, which is also like I'm curious your thoughts on on the second record. Uh, I saw them on that tour. That, t- that tour was great. Um, With uh, Joyce Manor? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that second record, it's got some good stuff on it, but I think that the issue with that one is like, I just don't think it captures that sort of like existential woe kind of thing that the mm-hmm. first one does, and in in that that entire era of Saddle Creek does. Uh, I think it's it's like what I was saying, where it's almost like bogged down in policy and sort of like news headlines and stuff like that, like Maricopa and, and things like that. Like, I think that that deserves specific attention and probably more than it gets. Yeah. Um, but that said, I, I don't think it resonates on an emotional level the way that the first album does, just because I this first one I like feel in my bones. Like, yeah. You know, you have those friends that like really want to like settle down and like are like, yeah, this is great. This is a great idea, huh? And it's just like, I don't think so. Not for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just kind of have to grit your teeth through it because uh, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, it, there's just there's something about that sort of like I'm very skeptical of the idea of comfort. Like, I just don't. I feel like I've never known it like i've always been around someone going through some sort of like a medical thing uh whether it be uh, my grandmother or my my partner uh that i'm with now um but like there's a sense of i i find this album to have that sense of like you're building your own coffin around you there's i think the want for stasis on some level is a want for death and i think that like that makes me very distrusting of it like there is i think being alive means there's no sense to your discomfort i think that that's just how it is to be alive is to like not feel comfortable within it and i think that wanting to build some sort of perfect nest that you can live inside of with a very limited amount of people uh is like unfeasible and like will never actually give you the comfort that you want you know andrew you just bought a house what do you how do you feel about it (laughs) I don't know. I, you know, I kind of got lost in what you were saying for a minute. I'm like, is that how I feel? I guess it's true. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of it's it's the reason people like settle at jobs that are just okay for thirty years. You know, it's it's the reason. Mm-hmm. Like, just okay is 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 honestly pretty good. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I I I, I understand being pragmatic and especially the job thing i mean right right now i mean if you can find a place that you feel comfortable at and it's not killing you you know expecting you to do like three people's worth of work for no money uh i think that makes a lot of sense um but i just i i think that there's this like want for like ah everything's done and finished and i don't have to worry about anything anymore and i just don't think that that's a feeling that'll ever go away for for anyone you know especially at this point in history i mean i don't know that it's like gonna be yeah. great from here on out you know <laughs> yeah no i think honestly it uh, i i i don't usually say things this like optimistic but i really feel we gotta be like 10 years away right 10 years away from like either complete ruin or like utopia there's no middle ground <laughs> yeah yeah sure i'll go with that <laughs> I'll go yeah. with the coin toss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the l- coin boys live by the coin, die by the coin. You know, I I feel like well, that's kind of the thing, and, and this is a little bit of an aside, but there is that idea of like everyone's like, up oh, the apocalypse is going to strike one day, and everything like you know there'll be nuclear holocaust, like there'll be one day where the flip, you know, the switch gets flipped, and then everything's just. It's, you know, Mad Max, you know? But the thing is, we've kind of been living through it for as long as we've been alive, where it's just like a boiled frog scenario. 
Like, things just get progressively worse in a slow enough way that we're just like, oh, well, I guess, I guess it's just 105 degrees out now. That's just, you know, and, and next <laughs> summer it'll be 110. Did you ever watch Shameless? Uh, the, the show on, like, Showtime? Yeah. Uh, partially. I watched, like, the first, like, half of the seasons. It, it's a, too depressing for me. <laughs> it's too depressing. Um, I bring it up only because, you know, it's at one point watching that show, you're like, it just gets progressively worse. Every single yeah. time that you're like, how are they going to get through this? They get through and then it gets worse. Yeah, I, that's, it's like you're scraping by. That's how life is. I feel you. Scrape by harder later. Yeah, it's just the Kafka mm. story structure. It just starts bad and gets gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, but yeah, no. I, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was no, gonna say. Uh, I, go. feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like. I feel like. I I'm not the first person to think this. I, I, like every generation, like thinks that they're in the end times, like on some level, like culturally or existentially, um, and like. But I think now we're kind of actually at that precipice. Like, it's, this isn't, you know, the Middle Ages with, like, a plague going around. Um, it kind of is, is, though. It kind of was. I mean, it is in that sense. But, <laughs> I mean, the the climate change sense, I mean, is, I think, the biggest, most precarious thing. Where, like, the second that the ocean acidifies, it's going to kill out 70% of the Earth's population. And then all of the economies are going to collapse. I mean, like, that's, like, a very real thing that's going to get triggered by that. Um and so, like, it, again, it's like, yeah, we're either going to make the correct choice at a certain point or we're not going to. And, like, we're either looking at, like, the death cry of uh, American fascism uh, or we're looking at, like, a new burgeoning era of it. You know, it, it just matters how everything shakes down. Yeah, I, I sort of, I was <laughs> sorry looking for, sorry the other day. This, <laughs> no, 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 I'm I'm in. I was looking the other day at a picture of Trump with, like, fist in the air and like waving American flags behind them and I'm like does nobody else see that this is literal fascism like just I like they love it they eat it up I, it just it doesn't make it, it uh, it's it's crazy to me and it's it's so crazy to think that like you know um just thinking that like you know I, a, a few short years from now i feel like world war 3 is just going to be everybody against against us and i'm like i have nothing to do with this please you know let my let my family survive i have a lot of mulch do you need mulch <laughs> but yeah uh it's really funny you you mentioned maricopa as being like a real prescient song on the new record uh and that was what uh Oh, that who's that fucking asshole in uh, in Maricopa? Yeah, yeah, with this mm -hmm. like fascist fascist prison, like uh, mm -hmm. his whole idea was just like embarrassing prisoners by making them like wear pink and shit, like mm -hmm. real wild stuff. But um, it was very funny because the, the big Desperados tour on the first record was with uh, Jimmy Eat World, and then when they put out Maricopa on that new album, apparently Jimmy Eat World got mad. Uh, I forget there was actually like a statement, but like actually like fired back at Connor saying like, you're making Arizona look bad. Like Arizona <laughs> isn't represented by this guy. <laughs> but I remember cause I, I saw Dessa on the, on that Joyce Manor tour at 
the stone pony and he, Connor was in his in his bag a little bit that night and he was uh he was like ah last time I was here I was with those fuckers Jimmy World and uh we played uh, at the convention hall and oh what a what a bunch of fucking pussies <laughs> so, uh, it was so so fucking wild and and Connor mind you is wearing a woman's like fur hooded coat with like a, oh, an Amer- he dressed up for you too. Cool, with like cool. an American flag <laughs> bandana tied around his knee. <laughs> um, yeah, so a, a couple a couple thoughts on that. Uh, so, for, first thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that Arizona should be judged in t- in its entirety by Joe Arpaio. Um, I have a especially because I come from Ohio, which is becoming used to be a swing state. Um, it is firmly becoming a red state at this point because there's so much population loss and everything's getting redistricted into like insanity um yeah i mean like every bad place like texas and alabama and stuff like that like are full of great people that are being disenfranchised you know like at least 40 percent of those places are all cool um i've met tons of great people in like dallas and austin and places like that i'm sure that you know in the rural areas i would have more of a disagreement with people but they're really good people in those places that shouldn't necessarily be lumped in with that you know it's it's kind of the same kind of like saber rattling with wars where it's just like oh well everyone in this country must be bad because now we're against them yeah. uh where it's mostly people just get caught in the mix of things that they can't control or they're just outweighed by a stupider population by a margin you know um and then second thing yeah uh last time i saw connor play like with bright eyes like he was trashed like a bunch of articles actually went up about the cleveland show <laughs> oh wow really? he was like yeah, he bought like a pair of like overalls that were a size too small, and so he was like futzing with them the entire show. And he like was so drunk that he was just ranting between every single song, and the bassist would just start playing the bass line to the song, <laughs> so shit. everyone sort of like force him to start. He had an assistant come out to like tie his shoes for him when like they came undone, and he mm-hmm. was like just like saying like embarrassing shit that would like cheap and stuff i forget which song it was it was something off lighting off the happiness but it was just like this is like for my first girlfriend you fucking cheated on me <laughs> like and it's just like <laughs> you're you're 45 dude come on oh um, my god but then we I, I was talking with a bunch of people about that because they were like was the show really that bad and i'm like when he was playing songs it was great and then <laughs> all the in-between stuff was in, kind of insufferable um man there was like an anecdote where he went on about this like gang of turkeys that was in his yard for like 15 minutes where he's just like these fucking turkeys in my yard um but but one fun uh little thing that someone said to me was they're like oh yeah no i used to live in omaha uh yeah everyone just calls him connor outburst there because he just like stumbles into bars and makes a scene (laughs) wow that's fucking wild yeah Oh. Yeah, my, my question, is there any explanation between the the album title? Is, is anyone in the band actually Spanish? And not not like from uh, what I've been able to find. I've tried to look that up quite a few times. Really? I, I feel like I've never found anything on why it's called that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, it, it famously got a, a Pitchfork four point six as well. Ooh, and and the actual review is like baffling it's like an email it's like a hate mail email like is uh, it like addressed to them yeah it's very strange and it's it's like someone was like a, like a fan wrote in to criticize their review of this record but 
they they're addressing an album review that I actually can't find the review for. It's Rob Rob Mitchum is the one who did it, and it's it literally is an email that says from hi halai halai at hotmail.com subject you sucking and then it's them it's just like i mean this is of the era when like pitchwork was really kind of esoteric with a lot of the reviews i mean i think that this is a cool concept for sure yeah Uh, but i think it's a bad take well so it's it's funny because it's literally like i guess it's a way it's it's very creative for an album review in the sense that it's it's an email that is addressing the critique of the record i guess instead of critiquing it directly <laughs> yeah that's a, i mean i mean it's a cool idea uh it's actually pretty games. funny i'm reading it right yeah. now it's pretty funny yeah. it's it's really <laughs> kind of smart <laughs> but it's uh it's a it's a very funny way to review a record and and then give it a give it a 4.6 but yeah it's it's, it's like, i mean they do here the only thing i can say negative about this record is that i think it sounds like horse shit well did you happen to listen to the remastered version i did not i intentionally did not listen to it okay i listened to both and uh the remaster kind of takes the edge off a little bit like i it is interesting that you know i guess it makes sense it was recorded like within a week and it's very much like a punk record in that sense but uh the remaster it takes a little bit of the fuzz edge off it a bit and you hear a lot more like lead guitar and a lot more keys uh they they kind of come forward a little bit more in the mix uh and also it adds what's new for fall at the end along with uh the other song that's was on the uh EP they put out but that's yeah, cool. I've never, I've never actually listened to the remastered version. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's I mean the other one's just burned in my brain so so much that it, it it's a little jarring when you hear like the keys come through in certain parts. Mm-hmm. But I, I do I do like re-recorded and remastered records though. Uh, like when it when it feels like it's adding something to it. Like I really love yeah. that re-record of uh, to the beat of a dead horse by Touche. Like, I oh. think it just sounds so much more cohesive than the I, original version. I don't think I've listened to that. It's great. It's great. Uh, it just you can. It just sounds like like at one with the rest of their albums. Hmm. Like it's just not as raw. There's like a little more finesse. There's a little bit more of that sort of like kind of like wavy sort of like beach thing that they they do more. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. yeah it's uh. I'm I'm curious why what's new for fall wasn't on the U.S. version of this record. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my vinyl copy of it has it on like a seven inch that just automatically comes with it. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if they they were like there's that whole like Joy Division thing where like they had these songs on seven inches, so they, they felt like it was ripping people off to put them <laughs> like put them on the like full length album. Yeah, yeah, but because uh, it's, it's maybe they just wanted it to be brisk, you know. Yeah, it's what's new for fall with uh, happiest place on earth, right? I think, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, yeah, there was that other song on there, Pen... Uh, what did they call it? Give Me the Pen was the other song on there. Yeah, and, and it's listed on the on the remaster as Disc 2 is what's new for Fall and Give Me the Pen, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, this, this record, like I said, the biting criticism on so much stuff, uh, you know, the... the I, I was going to say it's like the first 
two songs are such heavy hitters and then i realized like the first three and then like well for actually the first four it's like it's actually just such a stacked record it's it's ridiculous yeah i don't think there's a bad track on there that. really isn't any skips on this um andrew if you're still there is there any skips on this record for you um uh, no i no there's no skips for me the uh i love the lyrics on this record but yeah what's what's new for uh what's new for fall is i think a really fun song too like i guess i could see in the grand scheme of the record it could be a little weak but i've always liked it because it's like i listened to this record so much and then found out there was like more you mm-hmm. know so i was like oh shit like some other songs i haven't heard yet and uh i just love the line like what's new for fall by spring means nothing it's such and then it kicks into the chorus and it's just such mm-hmm. like, a good moment but um yeah, I, I guess another thing I really like about this and something I've been experiencing at an accelerated pace more so than ever is uh, living in Jersey City and just seeing things change so quick, so fast. And it's just shuffling in this new group of people at like such a rapid pace that it, it's insane. With no, like, What's the change like? Oh, it's just this... So New Jersey was kind of a a bad word for people in New York for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's always been like the like I'm me and Andrew are both Jersey born and raised. I love New Jersey, and I, the stigma behind it is is fucking silly. But for a while, that kept people from New York out, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for now sure. there's just been this exodus of New York into Jersey City, which is right on the other side of the the river from New York, mm-hmm. and. It's just been, especially with our mayor, he's just completely like rubber stamp green lit. So many like luxury high rise condo buildings, Ugh. and uh, it, it's actually considered one of the highest rents in the country. Um, just because they keep building these eight hundred unit high rises, and they're all eight thousand dollars a month. Yeah, and the buildings are mostly empty. Yeah, and it's 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 crazy, but the and like I don't know who the fuck can afford eight thousand dollars a month, no matter like what you do. It's 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 bonkers. Yeah, dude. Like I mean, same the same thing's happening here. I mean, it's not catching on as hard, but like there's like a Cleveland has like a lot of like little boroughs in it, uh, just because there's sort of like these little insular communities because we're a very like immigranty town, so mm-hmm. they just there's just like little spots that are different uh but there's a spot called uh tremont that's just south of downtown and that happened to that where it was like this sketchy area that like all the punk kids lived and there was like our the punk house we went to to go see shows at Mm -hmm. and then like that was the the, you know the landlord was like oh yeah no we have to get rid of it sorry you know the city's making us condemn it or whatever like a month later was up on zillow for like three million dollars or something like that like something insane that like you're not gonna get and then like same thing with like they knocked down a ton of the buildings in that area and there are all these giant like uh twee brutalist like townhouse things that they they make that like again are like half empty and like no one can afford it like all the downtown stuff here uh, like next to our soggy fucking lake uh is like three thousand dollars a month like no one can afford that here you know yeah even people being paid well here i'd still we're still being paid less than people in other major cities like you're not going to pull new york rent here out of people yeah yeah i mean a great example there's uh let's say like 28 houses on my street and there i think six of them right now are under complete full gutted renovation Mm -hmm. so like you can't even i I tried to come down my street the other day 
and you can't even drive down it because there's just like bull, like dump trucks double parked and shit and like half the parking spots are are taken up by giant uh you know like dumpster like demolition dumpsters and stuff yeah and it's just like i'm i've been living in a construction zone i've, I've been in jersey city now almost eight years and in my old place i went on vacation for five days and i came home and my neighbor's house is like leveled to dirt <laughs> and just they built like one of those places like you said like the brew they call them here bayonne boxes okay it's literally like, just like a, a house that takes up every square footage of property mm-hmm. you know and you know they just announced some other big like in my old neighborhood in in jersey city heights there was a there's a cap on how tall you can build a building i think it was like five stories or something and then they allowed for okay it'll be five stories of residential with two stories of parking and then oh now there's another exception and now they're building a 12-story building it's like okay so now the heights which is mostly residential and neighborhood you're now just gonna fill with high-rises and Mm. it's crazy and it's just like i said just seeing that shit all the time every day and just like waiting for the day when like the letter comes in the mail that like we're getting kicked out of here because they're gonna sell it like you just never know. Like I couldn't afford to live in my neighborhood if yeah. I if I wasn't here. And it's- yeah, I, what's crazy is like the same things happening in Detroit. Like I hadn't been to Detroit since we filmed there a few mm-hmm. years ago, and then like since then, like I went back a few weeks ago. Um, and it's just like Californians gutting these things that used, used to be like mansions. Like you know they had their like millionaires row because like. Both, both Cleveland and Detroit are really similar in the sense that, like, like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers were here. So there's, like, very unmaintained, really, like, areas that used to just be, like, mansion and mansion and mansion and mansion, you know? Uh, and then it all just kind of got, like, gutted in the 80s when, like, everything went belly up. And, but now, like, so many places in Detroit are just <clears throat> being run by, like, those flat-brim hat, crunchy Californians that are coming in. They're just like, we just needed something quieter than L.A., so we just came out here, and, like, they're all just running Airbnbs and stuff out of them, and it's just, like... I guess it's cool that, like, Detroit is, like, on, you know, on the rise again and stuff, but, like... Like, for the wrong reasons. (laughs) A, for the wrong reasons, and B, like, I can't believe how expensive it was when I was there. I did not eat a meal for, like, under $100. Like, not for myself, like, between two people. Yeah, but still, yeah. It's it's like casual eats. Yeah, nothing. Everything is, like, high-end restaurants, which, like, the food was good, but it's, like, that's your only choice when you go there. Like, when we were just in Dallas, like, I spent, like, nothing on that trip. Like, everything is super affordable there, (laughs) comparatively. I think a lot of that is the rise of people who are able to work from home. And mm-hmm. that that sought a ton of like, people going to less urban areas because they could just work online. And I, I know people who moved to, you know, um, someone's just telling me they, they had family members move to West Virginia and bought a house for $500,000. And it's like, why are you buying a house in west virginia for five hundred thousand dollars like isn't the point of going somewhere to like get cheaper than a house you would get in like new jersey (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's crazy but uh, yeah all that stuff like you know when there was a great example that was i think during the pandemic was a lot of people who had like vacations home in like a ski town Mm -hmm. like a ski resort town and all of a sudden everyone was moving out there it's like well we love coming here like let's why don't we live out here especially during the pandemic we're all working from home 
and it actually pushed out all the people who was like running the coffee shop in town or the <laughs> diner in town. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, why is the diner closed? Because there's no one who can afford to work there on a diner salary mm-hmm. when everyone's coming in and pushing up the housing prices to, you know, a million dollars. Yeah. I've, I've never understood. Like, just from, like, from a practical capitalist standpoint, like, it doesn't make sense the way that anything is being run in reference, like, housing. Yeah. You know? You think you'd want just, like, consistent passive income by having a house that you maintain and take care of. But mm-hmm. it's like... No, just gouge people. Don't do any upkeep on the house. Let the whole thing become just a slum. And then just, like, bulldoze it and sell it off to a developer that's going to put in, like, a giant condo. Like, yeah. that, That again, is going to be unaffordable to anyone in that area. So you either displace everybody or you're just, like, building something that's not going to, like... Wouldn't you just want your building full of people and then have the rent be lower as opposed to, like, having this entire pointless structure that you built to have, like, five people in it? Yeah. Like, other than if you're just, like, trying to do some sort of, like, money laundering in the process. Like, it do- it just, like, economically doesn't make sense to me. Like, the sort of smash and grab mentality everyone has where it's like, no, 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 I bought this house and now I need to flip it for five times its value within a year. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's not g- practical for you or for anyone else. You're going to end up be- making less money in the long run yeah. by just expecting, like, an upfront boon of cash, you know? Well, it- it's interesting... Uh, the, the whole flipper mentality is very strange too is the uh there's a house on the corner of my like right on the corner of my street that is it's a three-story skinny home but right on the corner it sold about a year and a half ago maybe two years ago for 1.2 million dollars or 1.3 but it was like a recently renovated everything's up to date everything's modern looking and it, less than a year later it's already back on the market again so it's like what what uh, what are they doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm like curious. I want to like walk in on one of their like open houses and just see what the fuck's going on. But uh, Andrew, like, what's the what's the urban sprawl situation in Baltimore right now? Well, it's actually kind of wild. The neighborhood I lived in before we bought a house, where we bought a house, um, <clears throat> was sort of like a very like locals only place. Uh, you guys are looking at me like you can't actually hear me. Can you hear me? <laughs> You're cutting out pretty bad. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the locals hated all the yuppies who moved in and drove up the rent, um, which was a constant, you know, sort of like wedge pay, between the people. Not enough who hate on yuppies these days. That was a big thing on the uh, the brace episode for Annihilation Time. They really hated yuppies. Yeah, it's a weird. It was a weird thing. It sucked for everybody. Um, you know, I th- there's definitely two sides to it. Yeah, uh, I'm. Yeah, I I'm all I'm all for yuppie hate. Like, I just, I, I don't. It, again, that it goes with the mentality of the of this album, where like mm-hmm. I don't understand this like this want and need for people to like have this sort of like dream fantasy about how they're just like constantly grinding and the line is constantly going up because mm-hmm. like I, it just feels like such an unreality to me yeah uh, I like I don't know people that have like completely escaped their station you know what I mean yeah like oh, there yeah. are people that do really I mean like I mean Justin is a perfect example where I mean he's like done tons of really influential records and stuff like that but he's not like rich you no. know off of doing it you know so I mean like 
I think everyone is constantly, you know, and there's such like a giant scammer culture right now too that I think doesn't play into the album. Like the album didn't at least predict that. Yeah. But it's just like every single grinder that's like trying to teach you how to do dropship scams and oh, like God, yeah. try to make you, oh, all of you can make all this passive income. And it's just like, no, sorry, you're not capital owners, you're wage earners. And like you don't have enough capital to actually make passive income on your minimal savings. And also all that passive income is coming on the backs of the labor of people in like lesser fortunate countries. Yeah. You know, all that shit. Um, there was one that was just popping up that was like, you know the the new thing is like getting people in india to do the work for you cheaper you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like oh, oh yeah. yeah you're literally it's just like like modern slavery in a way like you're just mm-hmm. using the internet in order to get i mean it's it's not like the economy hasn't been run that way <laughs> in terms of you know we don't make anything in this country anymore because it's, it's just cheaper to have it made elsewhere and import it you know mm-hmm. and uh you know eventually that that kind of getting passed down the line has to reach the end of the line at some point, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, and, just, and it's, it's that, wild it's to watch it happen before our eyes though. Yeah. And it's that exploitation that is being characterized as like providing opportunity. Like even compared <laughs> to like the Iraq war, where it's like, Oh, we're going to be greeted as liberators. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, no, you're ultimately, you're still exploited. Like, even if you are paying them more than the jobs in that area, you're still ultimately exploiting them because you're still paying them pennies for, however much value they're generating here so they're generating you all this money by doing this cheap labor and then you're still just like oh yeah here's five cents i know this is more than the the stand down the street will pay you to work it it's like that's still not good it's still not really providing an opportunity you're just like it's just comparing two different markets that's really all it is it's like this market has less like capital value than your own yeah as far as the world is concerned and so like you can just pay them less it's more in their economy but it's still nothing yeah it's it's brutal and and you know obviously uh we chose a creative path so (laughs) it's uh you know the, the 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 wealth and the riches are not in our future that's for sure but we can definitely be fortunate that we're able to do what we do while we do it you know you know yeah yeah but i also i don't feel like i have uh, illusions about that like mm-hmm. again like i never um like my mom didn't like save money or did like she wasn't smart about any of that stuff you know she, she didn't have like savings to help me like go to college or anything like so i never had the sense that like oh i'm gonna inherit things you yeah. know and things like that um and i never had a sense that like i was gonna get paid a ton of money to do this like i already knew it was like pretty dire going into it Mm -hmm. but i also don't want to like i don't know become a a, like a phlebotomist and be like miserable like doing it because i don't want to do you know i don't want to be miserable around people like like there are people that enjoy work like that and so like i think people that can get fulfillment out of it should do what you know whatever um but as far as like my own but as far as my own projects like i don't have the sense that like i'm gonna somehow get rich or like have a ton of extra means um i just want them to exist and i just want to make cool stuff and like collaborate with people that i admire you know and i think Absolutely. i think that that's really the, th- the thing is like it's the process for me just because like if things pay for themselves if i can like put a certain amount of money in and get that same amount back and probably pay people in the process like i'm happy like i don't need to make a living on it yeah yeah and it's 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 that difference in, uh, you know, that idea of just, like, time well spent, you know? And it's just, like, we only have a certain amount of time, and 
there's so many people who just like work and work and work for the opportunity to like enjoy their downtime a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know and there's a lot of people who are very successful doing that but there is that that weird grind set which i absolutely hate like i try to think of a more european approach to work in the sense of like you know my my work should not dictate my my life uh but i'm also very fortunate that i you know certain work i do is able to then fund other kind of work i want to do Mm-hmm. And I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do that all under the umbrella of photography. And, you know, it's it's just... It's just a different outlook. I've never worked in an office. I've never really had a boss in, like, a, a meaningful way. Uh, I've never had a straight job. I've always had, like, part-time jobs that have funded my photography career. And now, I've you know, I've been full-time freelance now for, like, fully, fully freelance for about three years now. Nice, man. And it takes a lot to get to that point, you know, and and it's still a struggle. (laughs) But you kind of, you bounce around, do different things, and, and, you know, different opportunities come and go, and you just got to kind of, when you're busy, you got to plan for when you're slow, so you're not completely, you know, depleting everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, there's no illusions to ever necessarily making it big time, you know? (laughs) It's just like, oh, I'm just fortunate I can afford film and, and shoot project you know passion projects and yeah if i have to do a, a a weekend of family photo shoots to pay for my film to then shoot fashion week and make a new book like that's how it goes and you know it's still better than fucking answering the phones in a call center or something you know <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah i i hate grind set stuff too it just like does not make sense to me especially because all that grind set stuff is always just like it never seems honest, like, what all those dudes are telling you to do to, oh, like, well, try to get ahead. All that stuff is like, well, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Mm-hmm. So pay for my class, and I'll teach you how to be a scammer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm not exactly. going to scam you. I'm going to teach you how to scam other people. And it, it's just it's just modern-day pyramid schemes. Oh, for sure. It, yeah, it's just, like, man pyramid schemes. Like, you know, because yeah. MLMs, like, are kind of what def- ended up defining that initially but yeah it's just like all dropship scams are just avon for men uh <laughs> and so yeah but 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 yeah i mean i'm i'm a workaholic by nature i just uh i don't know if it's being raised catholic or what it is or, or just like living in the midwest um so i don't mind being busy all the time but like if i'm gonna kill myself with work i want it to be for my own stuff exactly um and i'm lucky enough like i have a i have a great job i work at a mark like a big marketing company with like a huge studio and stuff uh, and we work on some cool stuff uh so i'm always like honing my skills we mm-hmm. have a bunch of great talent there so like it's an easy job and it's a cool job and yeah. it's full of, it's full of good people and so it's it's nice like i i enjoy going to work every day but it's yeah. also like everyone there is very matter of fact and it's like it's five o'clock everyone's out of here you know yeah. like yeah. no one's expecting you to everyone's expecting you to excel while you're there and then get the fuck out as fast as possible yeah that's that's so. nice that places like that still exist <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's run it's run by this cool this cool dude he's like a former hardcore punk dude he like nice. went to full sale and like was like a guitarist and bands and stuff like that um so he very much has the mindset of like we're working with big contracts and and stuff but like i'm not here to get rich i like to pay it forward so everyone here is happy like He's very like, is everyone happy about everything? Yeah. So that's that's he's, super he's rare. Really, yeah, he yeah, he he's uh he's really, really rare. And uh so yeah, I, I was lucky enough to fall into that like during the pandemic. Oh um, hell yeah. So yeah, so it's great. Uh but yeah, because I have that, it, not only do you have resources afforded to me because of where I work, but 
on top of that, like it, it allows me funds to do all the other stuff that I want to do. And hopefully I can get that money back when it sells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just waiting for this podcast to really take off and we'll be rich podcasters. You guys have been doing a really good job, man. Like, uh, I think the steak one was the first one that I listened to, or maybe one a few weeks before mm-hmm. that. But like, I've been listening to it since, and like, I, I really enjoy how you guys are doing it. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's 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 been a wild ride in terms of just being able to talk to these people and having a reason to talk to these people, mm-hmm. and uh, shockingly easy just to like slide into someone's DMs. And be yeah, okay. no, you guys are getting a ton of good names. We, uh, it's it's very funny because what's been the most successful pitch for a lot of these people like we've gotten that are what i feel to be kind of way out of our league way early on uh and even like uh so we <laughs> i've literally just slid into their dm dream like it's time to come on the pod <laughs> and they're like sure <laughs> man that's forward it's very funny and it, it like i it actually just worked with um it'll be already out by the time this comes out but uh we just had brace belden on who uh, from Truanon podcast, but he's also the guy who unionized Anchor Brewing. He was the oh, guy nice. who like quit his florist job in San Francisco and went and fought ISIS with the Kurds. Crazy, uh, uh, yeah. Why? Like he's lived so many lives. He was in a band called War Crime. Uh, it's it's crazy, but um, yeah, we had his producer of his podcast on uh, like forty episodes ago. And I literally just like DM'd him on it on Twitter and was just like, "Hey, it's time to come on the pod. We've had all your friends on. It's your turn." <laughs> <laughs> and you know it works, but it's a lot of fun. It's great to have a reason to talk to these people. It's great to have a reason to talk to people like you. You know, obviously, like you're doing fucking cool shit, and it's you know any way to to promote that into the world. Uh, you know, that's the whole name of the game is is just getting it out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great time to slide in the pr- plugs. Tell people. Where they can find what you're working on, what's coming up. This will be out in two weeks. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, you can find me at John Nix Film or John Nix Photo with an F, not a PH. Um, you can follow Turnstile Films as my production company. Uh, uh, don't at Don't Fall in Love with Yourself Doc is the handle for that on everything. Um, it's available from Vinegar Syndrome now on Blu-ray, uh, and it'll be coming out on streaming soon, sometime in the next couple months, um, depending on exactly how we do it, and then. I also run a small publishing company called With an X Books. Uh, I will have just announced uh, my new release, which is called Heavy Petting. It's an erotic photography collection from an artist named Heather Height, uh, whose work is really incredible. Um, so I'm excited to be putting that out. Um, but I just put out a book with Scout Tafoya on John Ford. I did a short story collection uh, called So Much Heart that uh, I absolutely love. I think that Drew Buxton is one of the best writers around right now. And I'm excited to see what he does next because it's just that story collection just like blew my socks off um so yeah so and i've got a bunch of other stuff that's in the works right now so uh, it's just a matter of just like churning it out every couple months um so yeah yeah i think that's about it (laughs) no shortage of (laughs) shit going on that's wild yeah yeah congrats it's a lot of a lot of irons in the fire but seems to be you know i I try to over i try to overlap stuff which like COVID made that really hard because I had to like put a stop to everything for like a year basically and just yeah. kind of like make game plans or write or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just get scared when like a project is going to end and not have anything and like fall into stasis or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just be like, I guess I'll just like watch Netflix for six months and not do anything. It's um, it's it's easy to fall into that uh, that rut, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I always try to have something coming up, and yeah. and now like the book thing is like 
making that more feasible. I mean, like having movies that come out every five years uh, is nice, but I would like to have more smaller projects that are more manageable so I can get that, like, that charge from doing it. Uh, So doing books has made that a lot easier. You know, it's like one every two or three months. How do you you find people to put out books for? Uh, I just offer, like, so the first, like, five or so that are out, I just, like, pitch people and, like, ask, like, do you, would you want to ever do something like this? Uh, and a lot of people were just into it. It's a lot of like artists that I've been friends with for a while that have kind of a name. Um, and then as far as like next year's upcoming projects, like a lot of it's just being submitted uh, through like my submission form and I'm getting like really good stuff from like, oh, that's sick. kind of established people. So, uh, I'm pretty excited to like dive into all of those because I was not expecting, uh, I was not expecting to have to say yes so often. I was like, I was ready to be like, okay, now sorry, buddy, you need to work on your voice, whatever kind of a yeah. thing. And, but then it's just like, oh no, you're all like kind of established and great, and this is great, and I'm like excited to try to put this together into something, you know? That's sick. That's so really yeah, cool. so it's uh, a lot of stuff has managed to fall into my lap. Uh, so I don't deserve any credit. <laughs> There's just good good people that happen to like find their way to me. So. Hey, listen, good artists need an outlet, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that's rad to be able to provide it. That's cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy to be that guy. I feel like those I feel like those people are underappreciated. I feel like the coolest dude is always like the guy that can help you get in touch with everybody as opposed to like knowing that person as a household name. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. It's it's very of the punk era, the punk scene is that that whole kind of shtick I feel. You yeah. know? And yeah. uh we we really good conversation with Brace about that. It's just like how like having that punk mindset is something that kind of sticks with you through your entire life after that you know yeah and i think it's the only way to make it work my my friends that came from like more of like a normal uh scene or like life whatever uh i feel like it struggled because they kind of just wanted it to like work like oh why oh i did two music videos why am i not rich in like getting <laughs> offered band videos and it's just like because you just have to grind and you're probably is you're probably not going to make it and it's fine you should enjoy the grind for what it is yeah that's um, that, that's one piece of advice i can definitely offer to anybody is you're definitely not going to get rich doing anything in the music <laughs> the music well, space I mean, as evidenced by, like, the strikes going on right now, I mean, yeah. it's, like, even people within the industry that are kind of household names are, like, struggling within the market, you know? I mean, even, like, people like Scorsese are having to, like, beg different places to try to make movies when it's just, like, they look at his output <laughs> over yeah. his entire life. Like, you're not going to take a chance on that? <sighs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, like, the system is not built for you, so I feel like instead of asking... Instead of wanting to be legit and professional and like do it the correct way, like I think just like figure it out. You know, I think it. I think that's always smarter. You know, it's that same like Justin type thing, which is like, well, if no one's gonna put this out, I'm just gonna do it. Like, yeah. I recorded an album. I'm not gonna just like let it sit on this hard drive. Yeah. No. Exactly. And that's. I mean, that's something I've always tried to do too. Is like, you know, everything I've done has been like, oh instead of just like waiting for someone to find it i'm just gonna make it happen you know i'm gonna Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be the one pitching shows i'm gonna be the one self-publishing i'm gonna be the one you know kind of doing the the heavy lifting and then people start to notice eventually (laughs) you know like yeah but but it's like it you do all these things because you want it to exist Mm -hmm. and if other people dig it then that's just like icing on the cake yeah and and i mean another thing that i'll say is like a lot of a lot of people that have done like notable work or that like people may think of as like a big deal 
a lot of those people like don't actually get a ton of like respect for that i've Mm -hmm. found like people really do appreciate when you've reached out everything cool that i've ever done is because i've reached out to someone way cooler than me and it was just like you're doing really cool shit i love it i would love to talk to you about it like can i help in some way like not you know don't ask for anything just like be like i like it can i help you and that can go a really long way as far as like letting you find your own voice and find channels for you to do your own work yeah um while connecting with people that probably aren't appreciated as much as they should be yeah no that's rad and that's 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 the struggle (laughs) for sure oh boy uh yeah speaking of which uh you can follow me at Dampasini on Twitter and Instagram, dampasini.com. Speaking of books, No Invite Volume 10 is out currently. Limited supply. Uh, my copies are running low. And Fashion Week's coming up soon, so maybe Volume 11 will be in the works. Uh, I never thought I'd get that far. <laughs> it's been a, an interesting project. But, um, yeah. Copies are running low. Pick it up. Uh, we also... Andrew... Unfortunately, his internet has uh, seems to be crapped out for the evening, but uh, we do have our shirts. Run to the ground, pocket tee. Uh, it says "Gatekeep Harder" on the back, uh, and uh, really cool comfort colors, navy blue. We're doing pre-orders right now through August, and uh, at the moment, if you pre-order it, uh, you get in the running for a signed copy of the new Jeff Rickley book, courtesy of Rose Books. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, pre-order link will be in the description. Run to the ground on Instagram. Run in number two the ground on Twitter. Patreon.com slash run to the ground. It's only five bucks. You get two extra episodes a month. And uh, some custom playlists. We just did our 2023 mid-year wrap-up. As well as a playlist that follows along with that. Uh, that'll be out, I believe... It should be out already last Friday. So check that out. And uh, you can follow Andrew on my, at my Spro called Life. John, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was great yeah, talking to you. I feel yeah, like we really got into the nitty gritty of what's what's wrong with this country. Uh, a lot of problems, not many solutions other than uh, do what makes you happy. There's there's only so much time left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that's the, the biggest takeaway. Yeah, control what you can, uh, and to, like find your happiness in it. Yeah, have reasonable expectations. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, really great talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon, I'm sure. Everyone go check out uh, Don't Fall in Love with Yourself. It's going to be sick. And uh, everybody else, bye-bye. Yeah, one more mouthful and they will be happy then. Whoa!